How necessary is it for us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, August the 13th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. And as you guys probably realize, on Wednesdays, we've been going through a series called The Essentials. And the purpose of this study, essentially, is to determine or define the boundaries of Christianity, the, the essential doctrines of Christianity. In other words, if you took these doctrines, you would have Christianity in a nutshell, basically. So anyway, if this is your first time, welcome. We're glad to have you here, and we hope that you stick around and and listen not only to this podcast, but also to the ones that have preceded this one in order that you can get a feel for where we are in this study. But anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you for joining us today. I hope you guys are having a fantastic week. Unfortunately, the people who came and saw our house uh, this past weekend ended up buying a house uh, down in Lancaster, South Carolina, or putting an offer on a, a house in Lancaster, South Carolina. So I'm just throwing that out there to keep you guys informed. I am not down in Arkansas yet. I can't wait to get down there, but uh, I'm making the most of my time here while I can. And again, I do want to apologize for not getting the question and answer lessons out yet this month. Uh, right now I'm in the middle of, actually tomorrow, I'll be taking my Contemporary Cults final, and I'm writing a paper and doing just a ton of research uh, about the Oneness Pentecostal cult. And of course, you guys might uh, might recognize some of the names from that, uh, from like the Jesus-only movement, such as T.D. Jakes, who completely denies that there is a trinity. Uh, but anyway, so I'm going to be writing this 20 to 25 page paper on uh, the oneness Pentecostal cult. So I've just had my hands busy with uh, with that and with this final coming up, and then I have this uh, enormous project for uh, for Daniel coming up. So we will get around to the Q and A lessons. I just can't exactly say when, but anyway, maybe we'll devote all of next month's uh, Wednesday lessons to Q and A. Who knows? Or maybe we'll just do one every Saturday. But I've got to get all this other schoolwork out of the way, and then I'll be uh, freed up quite a bit to be able to do that stuff. But Anyway, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can learn so much about you when we open up your word and open up our minds to understanding you. So I just pray, Lord, that you will give us clarity of mind today, help us to have pure thoughts, and help us to focus on you in order that we can get to know you better, Lord. We love you. We dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one thing I hope that you guys have all noticed as we've been going through our study here of these doctrines which define Christianity is that they sort of naturally or logically flow together. You know, one will flow right from another. And it's like if you deny one, it will typically involve the necessary denial of any other doctrine or or any other belief which logically follows after it. Well, last week we talked about why it's necessary to defend the doctrine of Christ's substitutionary atonement. And if you'll recall, we determined that it's essential to Christianity because without the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf, we are left to pay 
for our own sins. And that's why it's called substitutionary, because Jesus was essentially standing in our place as our substitute. Um, The Bible doesn't make it explicitly necessary that we believe that Jesus was crucified and died, but... But, and this is the key part, the Bible does make it explicitly clear that in order to be saved, we must believe, we absolutely must believe that Christ was raised from the grave. Since Jesus couldn't have uh, raised from the dead if he hadn't died, however, the belief that Jesus died for our sins is a belief that is implicitly necessary. So belief in the substitutionary death of Christ is implicitly necessary, but not explicitly necessary. Because again, scripture is explicitly clear that to be saved, we must believe we must believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, we read, quote, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This verse, you know, it makes it abundantly clear. It makes it a very black and white issue. One has to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead to be saved. Why? Uh, Why must one believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, it's because it's central to our atonement. For those of you who are maybe following along in our study on the book of Romans, which we do on Mondays, you'll remember that Paul wrote, quote, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. And that's Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Well, why was he raised? He was raised because of our justification. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is proof that God's wrath against sin and his justice were both satisfied by the substitutionary death of Christ. And if you need clarification on that or you need to review that, uh, be sure to go back and listen to that lesson. That, again, was Romans chapter 4, verse 25, which, of course, is still available on Bible Study Podcast. But Paul reaffirms the importance of the uh, resurrection when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is really key to the whole doctrine of the resurrection of Christ. So we'll be covering that uh, that chapter a lot here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4, we read, quote, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, when we read this, note that he had said that it was of first importance to teach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The very essence of the gospel message relies on the death and resurrection of Christ. Without his resurrection, what would happen? Well, Paul continues writing in his letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. 
And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. So Paul then reiterates in verse 17, writing, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Well, why are we still in our sins if Christ hasn't been raised? Well, that's what Romans chapter 4, verse 25 was all about. We're still in our sins if Christ hasn't been raised, because the fact that he was raised was proof of our justification. Now, if you'll recall back to verse 4 of that passage, where Paul was saying that uh, Jesus was raised according to the scriptures, you might ask yourself, what is Paul referring to there? Well, like many of the miraculous events surrounding the life of Jesus, the resurrection was prophesied of long before it happened. And that prophecy was recorded in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, where David prophetically wrote, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Well, what this verse is saying is that the Messiah, who of course would be the Holy One, would be raised from the dead before there was time for his body to decay. In reference to this verse, uh, in the book of Acts, Peter explained to the men in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, saying, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. And of course, that was Acts chapter 2, verse 31. So, you know, this wasn't the only prophecy of Jesus's resurrection. There are actually a few in the Old Testament. Um, but Jesus himself repeatedly prophesied that he would be raised from the dead. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for example, Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then in Matthew chapter 17, verse 9, Jesus said, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And then in verses 22 and 23 of that same chapter, chapter 17, uh, we read where Jesus tells his disciples, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And then in John chapter 2, verse 19, we read Jesus telling the Pharisees, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. So definitely Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that he was going to be killed, and he knew that he was going to be resurrected on the third day. So evidence for the resurrection of Christ is absolutely everywhere in the New Testament, as you might expect, since this doctrine absolutely is central to our salvation. We find eyewitness testimony bearing witness to the resurrection of Christ uh, in each of the four Gospels, of course, and we also find it in Paul's writings as well. And when we put it all together, we find that Jesus appeared to over 500 people on 12 occasions over a period of 40 days, which started with the day of the resurrection. So for those of you who have your Bibles handy and you know you might want to know where to find this testimony for yourselves if if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh if you're a young Christian or a new Christian and you, you've never read this stuff, write down these passages and read them when you get a chance. The first one is Matthew chapter twenty eight. The next one is Mark chapter sixteen, Luke chapter twenty four and John chapters 20 and 21. And then, of course, uh, you'll find Paul's testimony of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Also, if you want a breakdown of the 12 appearances of Christ, 
you'll recall that I wrote that response uh, that I published in a booklet to uh, to atheist Dan Barker's Easter Challenge, and those 12 occasions are outlined in there. So if you do already have that booklet, uh, you can find those 12 occasions outlined in that booklet. But something we should notice when we read the gospel narratives is that Jesus rose bodily. He didn't just rise in spirit. He rose bodily. The same body that went into the grave came out of the grave. Those who were eyewitnesses of his resurrection were so convinced that they had seen the same Jesus that they had known prior to the crucifixion that they would eventually go on to die for their belief. But, you know, it wasn't his spirit that they saw, and it wasn't just a hallucination. It wasn't them, you know, thinking wishfully or anything like that. Jesus literally and physically rose from the grave. Well, how do we know that? We know that upon discovering the the empty tomb, those who discovered the empty tomb found empty grave clothes or or barren grave clothes. And some of those uh, grave clothes were folded neatly. So if his body were stolen, you wouldn't find his grave clothes folded neatly. We also know that when they saw Jesus, he still had the marks from the crucifixion on him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 39, we read, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So we also know that the disciples touched him and that Jesus actually went so far as to challenge them to touch him if they didn't believe that it was Jesus himself in bodily form. They also ate with him, of course. Uh, You know, spirits can't eat food. They can't eat material food, but Jesus did eat material food. So it must have been his literal physical body that was resurrected. They also listened to him teach and, and witnessed him perform miracles. So what more could he possibly have done to convince them that he had literally and physically and bodily been raised from the dead? Now, people will dispute the literal physical resurrection of Christ by pointing out that in the eyewitness testimony of the resurrection, we find Jesus doing things like walking through walls or disappearing or being unrecognizable to people who you know normally would have been able to recognize him. But let's talk about that for a second. In response, if you read through the gospel narratives, what would give anybody the impression that Jesus couldn't have walked through walls prior to his resurrection. Uh, In other words, uh, you know, throughout his ministry, he did things that were supernatural. Walking through walls is pretty supernatural. Further, we have to note that the text uh, doesn't actually say that Jesus walked through any walls. Rather, John chapter 20 verse 19 tells us that the disciples were locked indoors when Jesus suddenly stood in their midst. Didn't say he walked through the wall, but, you know, you have to wonder how he got there. But that's beside the point. Or what about how he disappeared from the presence of believers after he was resurrected? In Luke chapter 24, verse 31, we read, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Well, this doesn't tell us that it wasn't his physical body that he saw. Rather, verse 16 of chapter 24 in Luke told us that their eyes were restrained. He defied the laws of nature on several occasions throughout his entire earthly ministry, and these were just these were simply more occasions where he was defying the laws of nature. But the fact is that before the end of each one of his bodily appearances after the resurrection, his followers were so completely convinced that he had literally, physically, and bodily rose from the dead that they were willing to die for telling the world 
about him. So it comes as no surprise then, in closing, you know, given the uh, importance of this doctrine, it comes as no surprise that there are several groups and several individuals uh, out there who have denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Sadly, and I, I mean very, very sadly, this, this really bothers me, uh, some of the most threatening attacks against Christianity have come from people whom we thought to be one of us. Yes, Christian teachers and theologians have rejected the doctrine which is so fundamental to the faith that they claim to have. George Ladd of Fuller Theological Seminary wrote in his book, he said, it was not a revivification of a dead corpse returning to physical life. Obviously, Jesus had not revived. Obviously, the body had not been stolen. It simply disappeared. End quote. And unfortunately, Ladd didn't stop there. He continued writing, quote, Jesus, who was with them but invisible, made himself visible to their physical senses. End quote. And sadly, uh, George Ladd here isn't alone. Far from it, in fact. Professor Murray Harris of Trinity Seminary, which at one time was among the greatest evangelical seminaries in the world, but which clearly has come a long way since being at that point. But uh, Professor Murray Harris of Trinity Seminary, in his book, wrote, quote, In his resurrected body, his essential state was one of invisibility, and therefore immateriality. End quote. And then he continued, writing, quote, Another characteristic of Jesus' resurrection body was the ability to materialize and therefore to be localized at will. End quote. Well, it's, it's a really sad day when we read something like that from an evangelical scholar. I mean, it's really sad when men who should be known for their ability to demonstrate superior interpretation and understanding of the Bible demonstrate such foolishness instead. Apparently, Professor Murray Harris here never stopped to consider how, in the book of Acts, Philip was supernaturally relocated. Thus, you know, clearly, a physical, natural body can be supernaturally relocated at God's discretion. Harris went so far as to say that the ascension of Christ in the first chapter of Acts, quote, is not historical in the sense of being an incident that was observed by witnesses, or even an incident that could have been observed by mortal gaze, end quote. Man, that's, that's, that just breaks my heart. Friends, I have to tell you that for every uh, one good Bible teacher out there, there are 20 heretical bad teachers out there. And sadly, men like George Ladd and Murray Harris just happened to fall into that latter category. Of course, uh, the Satanic Seminar, or I mean, <laughs> the Jesus Seminar, uh, also denies the bodily resurrection of Christ. Uh, and it's really not a laughing matter. I call them the Satanic Seminar for a very good reason. And that is that they are attacking uh, evangelical Christianity from every direction they possibly can. Uh, John Dominic Croissant, you might have seen him on uh, CNN or some of the historical channels. You know, he has this theory that the body of Jesus was eaten by wild dogs after the crucifixion. And his theory, John Dominic Croissant's uh, theory, is just one of many from the Jesus Seminar, which explicitly denies the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. You know, others in the Jesus Seminar have taught that the body of Jesus was either uh, placed in the wrong grave or that the disciples, you know, stole his body or that the disciples were just hallucinating. And, you know, unfortunately, 
these guys get a lot of attention on television and in documentaries and so on and so forth about the life of Jesus. And as a result, a lot of people think that these theories are the latest trends in academic Christian thinking. And they think, wow, that's what Christians really think. Well, that's easy enough to believe. I can be a Christian too. And then they don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, so they never become a real Christian because this is truly a doctrine that is essential to our faith. And of course, there are a lot of non-Christian scholars also who assert that the story of the resurrection was stolen from pagan religions and Greek mythology. And that's something else that we've seen in, you know, in Hollywood and, uh, you know, published in, in books. But, you know, this is a charge that we've already really responded to in previous lessons. There were no pagan religions or mythological stories of a god who became fully human, died for humanity, and who rose bodily from the grave. None. Unlike the, the tales and myths of these you know pagan religions, Scripture is based on eyewitness testimony. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter wrote, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Remember that the lives of these eyewitnesses were radically changed, but only after they had been convinced that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. And as a result of this radical transformation, these men and women who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection were willing to die. You know, people won't die for something that they don't think is true. They were completely convinced. They were completely convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead in bodily form. And of course, one last group that's worth mentioning, of course, this isn't the last group that denies the resurrection, but they're worth mentioning. It would be the Jehovah's Witnesses. They also deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, teaching instead that Jesus was raised as an invisible ghost or spirit. In the Jehovah's Witness book called Studies in the Scriptures, they write, quote, we deny that he was raised in the flesh and challenge any statement to that effect as being unscriptural, end quote. Well, you know, Paul made it so clear that if there was no bodily resurrection, we're still in our sins. I mean, he could not have been much more clear about that. But the bodily resurrection was the ultimate proof of our justification, and that's why it's so important. And for that reason, the bodily resurrection of Christ is a doctrine that we can't compromise on and which is essential to Christianity. So hopefully this makes it a black and white issue for you guys. We must believe that Jesus was raised from the dead in bodily form. That's what the Bible teaches us. So anyway, if you guys have any questions, of course, you can email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And I do want to remind you that this study has been based on uh, the book Conviction Without Compromise by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Ron Rhodes. That's our number one book on our recommended reading list on BibleStudyPodcast.org. And so if you're interested in ordering this book, you can find it on Amazon or you can go to our recommended reading list and order it from Amazon through our website. Uh, the recommended reading list is over on the right-hand side on the front page. So, anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. 
While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.